are you doing today? Welcome to our first podcast. I'm Judy. I'm Allison. And I'm Bert. We're your hosts, and we are here to help you open the way to health, wellness, and a rich and rewarding fun life. We're thrilled that you're here, and we hope you enjoy today's conversation. Today, we're going to tell you a bit about how we connected, and then we'll move ahead to the heart of our conversation. We're going to take a look at intermittent fasting. So, Allison? Yes. Can you give us the scoop on the start of our little trio? Yes. Well, Judy, I met you, as you know, several years ago when we were working at the same company. And Mm -hmm. I remember very clearly that when we would have meetings with clients or internal meetings, you would never eat. And I thought it was... That was almost a decade ago. That was back in 2010. That is crazy. That is so... It seems like yesterday. And I remember kind of thinking, oh, who's this weird lady? I know she was a doctor, but now she doesn't eat. And I remember in a conversation we had once, I I call you Air Fern Judy, because I never see you eat. (laughs) I know that you would drink water and green tea throughout the day, but I never saw you eat. And I remember asking you about it. And you told me that about intermittent fasting. And I thought, whoa, this is crazy. First, I thought it was weird that you were the first person that I'd ever seen that had a standing desk. And I was like, well, okay, this lady's standing and she's not eating. So then I remember that. It was so funny. <laughs> I mean, when you called me Air Fern Judy, I laughed because I thought, wow, I really eat a lot. <laughs> if she only knew. And I think what I told you, I mean, I said, I eat, just not during the day. And I remember, yes. And I remember you were so kind about it. You were just like, well, this is what it is. And if you're interested in learning more, yeah, I can tell you a little bit more about it. And then I think I learned about Bert, that he had written the Fast Five Diet and the Fast Five Lifestyle book in 2005. So at that point, that was, I mean, he was, people thought he was absolutely off his rocker at that point. Absolutely. I remember Bert back in 2005. Yeah. It was total heresy. By the time we met in 2010, it was only a bit weird. But in 2005, it was like I was a heretic and... Everybody that was starting intermittent fasting were they were assumed that they were become anorexic or something, have some kind of eating disorder, but didn't happen. No, and I remember I went and talked to my husband, Toby. I went home one day and said, Oh man, this lady at work, she doesn't eat. Her husband, they don't eat during the day, they only eat dinner. And he was like, Well, I guess that's not kind of, that's not super crazy because that's what I do. I'm at work, I don't like eating breakfast, it hurts my stomach. Then at lunch, I'm just busy and I just wait until dinner. I thought, yeah, I guess you're right. He really, he he was a fast fiver before I was a fast fiver. And it was just his natural way of being. And it's a, it's a natural way of eating for a lot of people mm-hmm. until they are trained to adopt the usual American, in, if you're an American, or cultural diet lifestyle of eating often. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and since that time, 2005, we've run across a lot of people who either ate that way in college and then got out of the habit and wondered why they weren't lean anymore, or they continued to eat that way, but just kept it as a private practice and nobody else really knew what they did, but had been maintaining it for their whole lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because the way that you and I, Allison, shared this conversation a little bit mirrors how the concept of intermittent fasting, particularly in the fast five variety, has spread. Because 
you so gently, so kindly, and with just humor said, I'm noticing something and is it okay if I say something about it? And you did. And it was it was through trust. Mm-hmm. And that's how it has spread. Word of mouth, friend to friend, trusted colleague to trusted colleague, and so on. Yeah. And it, I mean, back then, that was a, it was a Yahoo group. that It was a message board. Oh, and yeah. people, Bert had this big following on Yahoo groups. And I thought, ah, oh, this is, it was kind of taking off in Europe a little bit, um, in the Netherlands. Yeah. You know what? If I can interrupt sure. for a second, Bert, I don't remember the details, but that Yahoo group got some little award too. Could you yeah. tell more? I don't remember. In 2008, it got the best of Yahoo Health Award. That's which isn't that I guess cool? There, were, well, there was probably more than one of them, but they did get that award. Yahoo! Yahoo! Yeah. <laughs> Yahoo! And well, and at that point, I thought, okay, the people need to know about this. It's not strange. I haven't croaked. People are finding their ways to be healthier by doing this. And so I was just, I really pushed <laughs> and pushed and pushed and pushed. Like, we, let me help you get the word out about this really cool thing. Which was a really big deal, Allison. And I know we've talked about this in our meetings with three of us and you and I together and you and Bert and so on. But when Bert and I in 2005 decided we were compelled to get the word out, we took a couple of steps. We were doctors. We did not know how to do that. So we did a lot of on-the-job training of learning how to be communicators and sort of evolved into physician educators, I guess, for lack of a better category. But we did things like that crazy walk when... Yeah, tell us us about the walk. Yeah, for the podcast. When it was early, either late 2005 or early 2006, I had a niece in York, Pennsylvania, who called and said, Aunt Judy, you need to know about this guy who is walking across the country to get lean. And I thought, wow, that's pretty weird. He had walked through York, Pennsylvania. He was walking from St. Louis to to New York and then planned to walk from California back to St. Louis to do this cross-country walk. So I got on the phone with him. Bert was doing a sabbatical. And so I was by myself with just me and the kids. And I gave him a call. And we talked surprisingly for like an hour and a half or something. And I determined he didn't seem like an axe murderer. And I felt (laughs) really, really, really compelled to walk with him. And so I talked with Bert and then I talked with my parents. And that's a whole different story we don't have time for. But long and the short of it is, ultimately, I decided to walk with him from California to St. Louis. We only went as far as Oklahoma City and time ran out and, and for reasons that made a lot of sense, he needed to continue the journey on uh, independently, mm-hmm. mostly because it was approaching my dad's birthday and I had promised to be back by then. <laughs> but for 1,500 miles, we walked crazy. step. It's crazy. And I didn't plan the route. And so we were in the middle of the Mojave Desert in August, I think, or in the, I don't remember oh what month God. it was. No, that's 126 degrees on the pavement. Mm-hmm. What did you start to say, Bert? No, you're right. It was the Mojave in August. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Not the big, highly populated PR push kind of place yeah. to be. So, right. It, so we didn't know what we were doing. We literally did this big gorilla thing when nobody was going to talk to us. <laughs> and there was no social media happening. I mean. Right. This was 2006. There was no Facebook, no widely available Facebook. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, we didn't get a whole lot of PR, but what we did do, and one of the things that has happened throughout this whole crazy journey is I and Bert, because we were in contact as when we had cell signals, were we learned more about the plight of this person with whom I was walking, Gary Long, walking side by side than ever, ever, ever had learned in medical school or in our clinical practice. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very important piece of the fast five intermittent fasting appetite correction sort of whole concept growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then we met you and someone with a little wisdom in the area of how one communicates took us by the hand. Thank heaven. So you keep going. Sorry, I totally stepped on that. Oh, no, I, I think I was that, that was just it where I ended as I, I pushed. <laughs> yeah. And so the three of us have been working together since 2010. Mm-hmm. And it has been an interesting ride. Yeah, a very interesting ride. One of the things that I think is important to know is back in 2005, Bert and I talked and we said, we're compelled to get this word out and we do not ever want anyone to have trouble accessing this because of funds or whatever. And so it's been a free download. And and we said it will be for the rest of our lives. The, yes, the Fast Five book. That's what I was just so amazed when I, you guys are so generous with your time and your knowledge. The Fast Five book has always been free, and it's a free download on the site now, berthearing.com. So if anybody wants to learn about this, the information, even though it was written in 2005, the information still stands. I mean, it's it's still an amazing book if you're just starting out on your IF journey. And it's a very short book, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. We've had a lot of names for this little short book. It's pretty fun. Yeah, so it's and and that will remain free as long as we ever have control of that. But we also have learned that there is so much more that people want to know beyond just the basics. And one of the differences in the way that we have connected with people over the years is that we've stayed in touch with thousands and thousands of people who have accessed that that download and have learned about Fast Five in a bunch of ways and that brought us to, I mean, when I say us, I mean the three of us, because we've, we've looked at this together for years now, and the pattern emerged that the goal, the sort of the holy grail of intermittent fasting is achieving appetite correction. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I wanted to say one more thing before we move to the heart of intermittent fasting, and that is when we talk about appetite correction and that idea and that concept and that perspective emerging I think one of the things that has so facilitated the growth of our understanding of intermittent fasting is the three of us together each bring different perspectives, and the complementary nature of those has let us explore things that maybe Bert and I wouldn't have explored, explore things that maybe you wouldn't have explored. Absolutely. Each of us individually, yeah, brings a different piece to the table, and the the crucible into which we put ourselves brings some really, really interesting insights. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that I kind of come at it from a a more, I guess, a mainstream view, whereas this all seemed so different to me years ago. But now I feel that people are more open to hearing about IF and this way of eating. Well, and this has been a really interesting evolution that we have witnessed 
in not only our relationship as a trio, but you, Allison, as you got farther and farther and farther into understanding this and living a lifestyle that was not necessarily like everyone else lives, you went, as you routinely do, you took the deep, deep dive into understanding and and exploring this with your, your work in public health. I mean, you are up to your elbows now in the public health arena, and that brings for us a richer and more developed perspective. So not just our marketing friend right. and our person who helps us to not step on our own feet all the time, yeah. but someone who, yeah, who brings a truly unique and important public health perspective to this exploration that we're doing. Yeah. And I think that IF was one of the key reasons that I've kind of shifted my life's focus. I had come from a marketing background, marketing and design, and, and figuring out how can I use the, those tools to really help people towards their best health and, and happiness. And I'm just really thankful for our group. Me too. Well, that's an interesting side-by-side -side marketing and IF because successful marketing has been responsible for a lot of the problems that IF can correct in terms mm -hmm. of how it op opposes it and corrects appetite is basically because it torpedoes the successful marketing and gets people to stop doing what they were taught to do by commercials. That that gets into the history, which dates, dates back to the beginning of the 19th, or sorry, the 20th century, the 1900s, when this all was slowly growing as a problem. We've been in a position to watch culture change in front of our eyes as the shift has occurred from IF being this heretical move doctors in organized medicine would not think that anybody would tolerate for any length of time. And so it was not viewed as a practical option. And now here in 2019, we're seeing it become quite popular, talked about on talk shows, even practiced on talk shows. So it is a radical shift. And it's kind of nice to see that that kind of change can happen. But it happened because people trusted each other and tried it. And then the doctors started to do research on it. They wouldn't have anything to do with it at first. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. The whole marketing piece of this is really interesting to me because it, it sort of has tentacles. And that is IF as a concept is also a tool for marketing publications mm -hmm. and shows and this and that. So it, it's it's a little bit... I don't know if ironic is exactly the correct word, but it's a little bit puzzling to me that back in the day, 2005 and earlier, it was this heresy in the medical community. And then over time, it's become so widely accepted through what you said, trust and sharing and results. And just putting an article about IF into a magazine makes it a more sellable product. Mm -hmm. Now, the caution with that is that one of the ways to sell things around a concept is to make it complicated. And I think we would all agree that one of the things that compels the three of us to take the time and to apply the effort that we're applying to making a podcast is that staying with the basics, the study of one that we can talk about later in detail and 
for those who are listening, there's a lot of information about the study of one at birdherring.com, but staying with the basics and allowing a body to, to tell the answers to the person who's the owner operator of that body is, is so valuable. Mm-hmm. And the complexity that has been added to a lot of intermittent fasting perspectives is okay. And I think some people need complexity, but it takes a variety of approaches. I think the three of us recognize a lot of value in the simplicity Mm -hmm. of keeping an eye on the prize of trying to achieve appetite correction and using the tool of a study of one in order to discover how to get to that place. Yeah. I think for anybody that's listening that is afraid of IF because they don't know how many hours should I fast or what should I eat or how do I do it? It is truly such a simple and elegant solution, a way to achieve appetite correction. Just I like lists. I like to think I'm checking things off. So to have something that has a little bit more complexity in it sometimes to me is comforting because I know that I'm on the right path. But truly, IF can be so simple and so easy that don't let people tell you that you necessarily need to do it a certain way. Right. So Bert, we've introduced this phrase, appetite correction. Can you take a minute and just talk about what that is, appetite correction? Yeah, I'll back up a a little bit to intermittent fasting because I've seen a lot of articles talk about intermittent fasting as if it is one set schedule, a certain interval, a certain eating window. But it's not. Intermittent fasting is a concept that you eat and then fast on a set schedule. And that's all there is to intermittent fasting. And so there are a lot of schedules that people adopt as intermittent fasting. And that doesn't make one right or wrong. They're all different schedules of intermittent fasting. And the term got its start back when some animal experiments were being done in the 1930s. And the animals just weren't allowed to eat every other day. And an alternative to that was also calorie restriction, where the animals were just not allowed to eat as much as they would normally eat. Both of those techniques, I think it was actually the calorie restriction that was started first, both techniques wound up the animals lived healthier, longer lives. So there was some interest in this, but most thought that both for calorie restriction and for intermittent fasting, that humans would not practice it voluntarily. So it kind of just stayed in the scientific journals for a long time. And a few people picked it up here and there. But the the key here is that there is no fixed schedule of intermittent fasting. You can be fasting for 12 hours a day, or you can be fasting for 19 hours a day, like in Fast 5, or you can be fasting for one day a week and, and still call that intermittent fasting. So intermittent fasting is a tool, and people use it for different reasons. We have emphasized using it for fat loss, getting rid of surplus fat. But some people use it as a theoretical way to enhance their longevity because it's done that in animals that hasn't been shown in humans and in in primates like uh, monkeys and chimpanzees. It's had sort of less dramatic results that aren't, aren't very clear. And so it's still kind of a speculative thing, but people practice their intermittent fasting sometimes just for their health. 
Another reason that people might practice it is to decrease inflammation. If they have some kind of inflammatory disorder, an intermittent fasting schedule often helps with that. So you've got this intermittent fasting tool, and it can do a lot of things. And one of the things that it does that we've talked most about is help with weight loss. And it does that most effectively through appetite correction. And that means that once you've practiced a working intermittent fasting schedule like Fast 5, 19 hours of fasting each day with a five-hour opportunity to eat, then in the part of your brain that counts calories and tells you how hungry to be when you eat, controls your appetite, is corrected so that you take in the right amount. Even if you have a surplus of fat, your appetite adjusts for that, and so your hunger drops, your appetite drops, and you just don't want to eat as much. You don't have to hold back. You don't have to use willpower. You just don't want to eat as much. And for me, that's the big goal of intermittent fasting. So if your schedule gets you there, great. If it doesn't, then you might want to try a different schedule. Right. And I don't want to keep referring back to the website, but there is a really lovely blog post that you did, Bert, that talks about how to choose a schedule and the value of, I mean, again, this is as complicated or as simple as one wants to make it. There are schedules that keep the insulin way low for a long time, and there are schedules that keep it low for shorter times. And and so that blog post offers a nice guide to deciding what kind of a window works best in any individual person's case. Now, we did a survey of people who live a fast five, which is a 19-hour fast with a five-hour window lifestyle back in 2016. And, that, and during that survey, one of the things that we noted was a number of people went from a schedule that it's called 5-2, a scheduled way of eating that was popularized some years ago. A lot of people who took this survey had tried that in the past. And one of the things that was notable to us is that the schedule of 19 hours of fasting and five hours of an eating window seemed to be, for the majority of people, the minimum fasting period that conferred appetite correction. And one of the things that I remember feeling a little nervous about, and still do to some degree, is that if one adopts a 16-8, which is another popular regimen of intermittent fasting, it's been popularized in magazines and other sources, and they don't achieve appetite correction, my concern is always that they'll throw in the towel and say, IF doesn't work for me. So I think the importance of understanding that it is truly a study of one, each person is individual in their biology and their chemistry and, and the, the pieces of how they uh, interact with the world, and the regimen that allows them to achieve appetite correction may not be the same for one person as it is for their neighbor down the street. Right. And unless people know that appetite correction is out there and what it feels like, they don't know whether their intermittent fasting program is right for them or not. And so it is important to know that what we're talking about is a, a time when you do not need to use willpower to refrain from eating. It's a big change and a lot of people have never even felt it before. But we hear Stories like I was half th halfway through my meal and I just couldn't eat anymore. That's what appetite correction can do. It can really have your appetite center just shut the door on your eating so that you don't have to white knuckle it through willpower or 
conscious efforts to stay away from food. And at the same time, it lets you eat the things that you want. You just wind up eating less of them. Mm-hmm. Right. And for, for me, it's, you know, I was waiting for breakfast, waiting for lunch, waiting for dinner. But once you achieve appetite correction, and I did it through a few different ways, including IF, four or five o'clock would come and I, oh, I, it's time to eat, I guess. <laughs> it's just, it's such a different feeling than that just constant anxiety about, okay, I'm going to eat again. And what am I going to eat? And is it going to be too much? And how much of this or that? And how many carbs? And it, it takes all of that junk away. It does. One of the things that you said earlier, Bert, was about this sort of variety of ways of doing it. And Allison, you just mentioned you used IF and a number of other, I don't know how many, but plus, mm-hmm. IF plus. So you did some hybrid of this and that to achieve appetite correction, knowing that that was the goal. One of the things I see in the popular press and in some conversations surrounding intermittent fasting and other lifestyles is it feels like it's sport to some degree. I I live a more austere lifestyle. And so I am a better if or I'm a better intermittent fasting individual than someone who has a, let's say, a shorter fasting window and a longer eating window. I mean, there's no competition here. This is what works for a person individually to be able to sustain this lifestyle for indefinitely, forever, if it is good for their body and it feels good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but it, it seems there's some... Competitive fasting. Mm-hmm. Competitive fasting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe it'll be a sport in the Olympics. Yeah, that, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because everybody's got a different finish line or a, yeah. di- different, um, a different body. So they're going to have different results. And so their their win is different from somebody else's win. Oh, no, actually, it's the, the same. The, the goal is health, but their route to get there is going to be different and could have a totally different schedule. You say, and the goal is health, it is. And health is not just physiologic metrics that fit a particular structure. I mean, health is this whole thing of what we said, wellness and a rich, rewarding, and fun life. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's all part of healthy living. Right. And for some people, that means having that glass of wine in the evening. For somebody else, it's a beer or a pizza. That's part of the fun of life. That should be included and accessible in any kind of long-term lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. Or for some people, it is to avoid those things. That becomes that makes them feel less anxious or more intentional or whatever. I mean, there's so many ways mm-hmm. that a person's way of being factors into this. And this idea that one size fits almost everybody is just kind of nuts mm-hmm. in my mind. Mm-hmm. What I like about Fast Five is that it gives you a very basic and easy pathway. It's 19.5. You choose that when you want to fast, you choose when you want to eat. So that five hours can be any time. And that's the starting point. That's the framework. And then you tweak it based on how you're feeling or your schedule or any number of things, what kinds of foods that you like or don't like. It's all up to you. But with Fast Five, you just, you have this basic framework and it works. Yeah, it is pretty simple. It's just that one rule, eat within five consecutive hours, period. And that's it. And then you build on that. Mm -hmm. And it works for, in our experience, over the last, I guess now, 14 years of interacting with people who have adopted that lifestyle, 
It works for well over 90% of people. And for those for whom it doesn't work, we love to engage with folks and talk about how they can either conduct their study of one to find a regimen that does work, or if intermittent fasting is whatever regimen of any variety is not working for them, what else is going on? Mm -hmm. And there are people for whom intermittent fasting is not the whole solution. No, absolutely. And we're still working to help those people, but we're digging. And when we find something new that can help, we'll be putting that out too. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this has been a really nice overview of how the three of us got together, (laughs) where we're headed, a little bit about our start in the fast five, or not the fast five world, I guess the intermittent fasting world. I do want to say something kind of funny, and that is I read someplace a a little meme that said, you know, leave it to millennials to turn skipping breakfast into intermittent fasting. And I looked at Bert, who's clearly not a millennial. In fact, (laughs) I'll admit it, uh, like a tail end of the boomers. And I think it's more the beginning of Gen X. Okay, the beginning of Gen X. Anyway, (laughs) somewhere on that border, in the borderland. And so this fellow from the borderland actually turned skipping breakfast into intermittent fasting way back in, what, 1992 is when this all started. So 94, yeah. Okay, 94. Anyway, long, long, long time ago. So way to go there, Bert. thank you, Bert. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess that that closes it for today's podcast. We appreciate you guys listening. And we are really, really, really looking forward to doing more of this. I hope that we do more. For now, the podcast will just be up on BertHerring.com. But in the future, we hope to bring you more episodes and make this into a regular podcast. So if you want updates about when those podcasts are coming out, if you want to stay tuned for blog posts or find out more about what we're up to, go to BertHerring.com and sign up for the newsletter. We promise we won't spam. And if there's a certain topic that you'd like to hear us discuss, then let us know. Yeah, we love questions. They're really fun. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.